Welcome to Get Your Swag Back with Steve Clements. This podcast is a brash, barrier-breaking, unapologetic look at the modern male, his masculinity, and the lies he is taught on how to attract, date, and act in relationships with women. We uncover and expose the problems men have in the dating arena, especially after a bad breakup or divorce, and show them how to set their ship straight. We also look into the mind of women and why they may stay with one man versus another, unveil the secret language of women, teach you women speak, and the positive traits that women come running to when they see you in the modern masculine man. Make your comeback, take your balls back, and get your swag back. All right, all right, all right. Guys, I'm back better than ever. I just can't help myself. Today, I got a great guest in the studio. He's a former policeman turned businessman. He's got a great transformational story. And I want you guys to hear about this because, like I always say, it ain't over till they're patting you on the face with a shovel. And this guy personifies that. So, guys, let me introduce to you Jamie Hyde. Jamie, how you doing, brother? Hey, man, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. We have a great, uh, we had a great talk, a kind of discovery call a couple weeks ago and just had a really good rapport and I loved your story. Give me a little buy on you and like where you came from, you know, what you're all about, some transformational moments and what you do. Go right ahead, brother. All right. So I grew up in the, uh, in the thumb of Michigan. So I'm <laughs> a hard Wolverines fan, uh, very small town, one stoplight, about 12, 1400 people. We moved around a little bit as a kid. When we were ten, I uh, I lived in uh, I lived in Tampa for a short time. When nice. I was fifteen, we lived in Nashville for a short time. We always ended up back up in this little small town, though. Mm. And then uh, my junior year, we moved over to the east side of Michigan, uh, the little town called Marysville. So I actually graduated high school from there, just south of Port Huron, the St. Clair Shores area or St. Right. Clair area. And then when I graduated, my stepfather had taken a job down here in South Florida, and I was not meant for college at the time. I didn't think I was meant for college. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go in the military, but my mother did not want me to go in the military. And I was hell bent. I was going in the military. I had all the papers all lined up, everything ready to go except the signature. And turn, I graduated the first of June and I turned 18 the third week in June. So there wasn't much they could do to stop me except mom played that mom card. She said, right. listen, we're moving to South Florida. We don't have anybody to help us. When I'm able to help unload the truck and we get there, <laughs> do me a favor. Come to South Florida with us. If you if you don't like it, you can go in the military from down there. What's the difference where you go from? You know, so I'm like, how, how do you say no to mom? Right. So right. You help. So, so I come down. I got a little graduation money in my pocket. Our next door neighbor was a senior in high school. I had just graduated and are going into his senior year. He introduced me to some of his friends. Some parties ensued. Next thing I look up, it's the end of August. And mom says, if you're not going to college, you better go get a job. So <laughs> no military, huh? <laughs> yeah. So by then I get a job coming up. Um, I'm 18 years old. And uh, within three months, I met my future ex-wife, literally <laughs> at the job and uh, married at 20, divorced at 23. And I might get real deep real fast, but um, right, I know we talked about anxiety, depression, and maybe no, um, maybe some of your audience has dealt with this. That's when I first, I always had, I always had anxiety my whole life as a kid, right? Mm -hmm. But that's when I noticed like depression was sitting in for the first time. And I really loved this girl. I loved her a lot. And even more important, she had two young kids and I loved them. 
and and I, I treated you know they were my own kids as far as I was concerned. Right. But I just couldn't be happy. I just there was just something about it. we had great dynamic, we had great chemistry, but I just wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. And literally, I was I was working eleven and a half hour shifts at the police department at the time. I got hired at graduated police academy within two days of being twenty two years old, and now I'm twenty three, twenty three and a half. And I was making excuses after working eleven and a half hours driving 30 minutes to go see my parents at night because I just don't want to be home. And wow. I was like, I got to go see my parents. And and I'm coming home the turnpike one night and I'm like, which pole am I going to put my truck into? Wow. Which pole? Because I didn't want to hurt her, right? right? I didn't want to break her heart. I didn't want to hurt her, but I just was miserable. And finally, I just couldn't do it anymore. So um, I ended up just telling her one night, obviously I was getting more and more distance and I was working an off-duty detail. And she came to the details I was supposed to get off. It was like I don't know, 11 o'clock at night. And she's like, I got a beer and a wine cooler. There's something going on in our marriage. Let's go to the beach and talk. And I'm like, no, just, just go home. And then I came home and she's like, what the hell's going on? And this night I'm like, look, I'm just not happy. Like, yeah. This just isn't, I'm miserable, I'm not happy. And she freaked out. She packed up. She took the kids in the middle of the night, left. Now it's 2, 3 a.m., drives the kids an hour to her mom's house. And I'm like, don't overreact, like stay, like I'll leave, you know, it's like, no, you don't love me and whatever. So it was just a bad scene. Right. Uh, But, but I just had to ask myself, like, I'm young. I love these kids and I don't know what it is, but is my future going to be better with her or without her? And if I'm already miserable at 23 and three years, three and a half years into the marriage, how much better is it going to get? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Young, You know, I got to go, go figure it out. That's kind of the start of it. So. Yeah, it's great. I mean, at least you realize that at a young age and you didn't drag it out, which could really lead to, you know, a lot of more problems, especially for the kids because they see that example. So that was great insight. Now, were you depressed because of you you, or were you depressed because of the marriage? Well, it took me to and I'm going to be 54 here in a couple of months, but it took me to 50, 51 and a half to start figuring out that these problems really start in childhood. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. if anybody's listening to this and you're younger, go get help now. If you're right. doing, don't be ashamed of it. Mental illness is not talked about enough in this country and there's a stigma around it. I have a running joke with my therapist. I've been seeing you for three years. How come I'm not better yet? He said, because you waited till you were 50 to see me. You didn't wait till you come <laughs> to me when you were 30. If you come to me when you're 30, I'd have fixed you by now. <laughs> And uh, but I like that. I like that therapist. <laughs> right. You know, he's awesome. He is. He That's is, great. He's awesome. And uh, so, you know, I, I was dealing with depression and I didn't know I was dealing with depression. Right. And and then I was, you know, I'm a young cop. I'm in shape. Look, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to say nothing about nothing, but girls like a man in uniform. Yeah. So from there, it was just party, have a good time for a couple of years. No holds barred, you know what I'm saying? Right. Sowing <laughs> um, the oats. Right. Went and had mm-hmm. a good time for a while, even though I took all the debt. Um, when she left, I found out I owed $20,000 in credit cards. I didn't know. She was writing oh, shit. Uh, credit card apps in my name, getting the mail, because uh, for a long time, she was a stay-at-home mom. I stayed married. I kept the kids on my insurance until the divorce was final, which took seven, eight months. I gave her money. I took all the debt. My attorney's like, don't take all the debt. She was doing it. I'm like, no, she's got two kids. I don't, I don't care. Like I'm single now. Like right. I'm only making at that point, like 30, 35,000 a year, but 1991, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Only a high school education, you know? And, and uh, Florida, right? Yeah. 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 Cost of living is cheaper. Yeah. 
Yeah. So awesome. well, cheaper depending on where you live from Michigan. Yeah. Cheaper, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, well, I took that, paid off all the debt and got the divorce and tried to stay in the kids' lives. And she didn't let that happen. But later mm-hmm. on, they came back into my life. And now I have a great relationship with Alik, my stepson. That's awesome. And uh, he got married a year and a half or a year ago. And he actually asked me to perform the ceremony. That's awesome, buddy. Yeah. Really cool and also a little weird being around that whole family again. But uh, but it went great. It was a beautiful weekend. So there you go. That's awesome, man. So now you're in the police force for a little while, right? And then you decided maybe make a, a transition to an entrepreneur or something. Yeah. So I grew up in a family of engineers, but my, mm-hmm. my father's an entrepreneur. And I always kind of had that in my blood. They told us in the police academy, like, 70% of you will not do a 20 year career. It's just the way it's training in the police force now. And I'm like, no way. I wanted to be a police officer since I was 14 years old. This is all I wanted to do. I'm a really? lifer. Well, well, by my fifth year, I was like, mm, I just, this isn't, I don't know. By my seventh year, I hated it. And yeah. by my 12th year, I finally decided to get out. So right. I, did, I did 12 years in like a month. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, I feel you, man, because I was in the government. This is a monotonous. I mean, you had to put up a lot of bullshit, I mean, and abuse. And I was in a monotonous job myself. So what happened in that 12 and a half years? You decided, what was like the, the point? Like, fuck it, I'm done. Just- well, I dated around. I had a good time. But then I, I met my wife now a couple of years later. I think I got I got divorced officially in, oh, I don't know, 91, 92, mm-hmm. lived with a girl for a little bit, met my wife now. Um, I knew that relationship was going by the side with the girl I was living with. I started dating her. Actually, Valentine's Day 92 was our first date. We got mm-hmm. engaged Valentine's Day 94, and we got married on Valentine's Day 95. Nice. Our 26th wedding anniversary on Sunday. Congrats. And Thank you. So super, super supportive. And, and I'll just throw this in because you and I talked about this, like knowing the next right girl for you, right? Is setting that standards. Now, maybe I didn't know back then to write it all down. Like you said, you did. And some of my mentors mm-hmm. talked about since like write down everything you want and don't settle for less than that. But I've always had this passion about motorcycles. My grandfather used to race and he used to, and rode and he used to tell me stories about riding and racing and I always been around motorcycles and always loved motorcycles. Oh, okay. I didn't see the Harley shirt. Awesome. <laughs> I'm a, right now I'm a Beamer guy, but I've been a Honda guy my whole life and I see uh-huh. a Harley in the future. So it was cool. My wife now and I, we were together a very short time and she says, do you have any unfulfilled childhood dreams? And I said, well, I've always wanted to race, you know, motocross and supercross, but my parents, you know, never had the money. You know, I think secretly my mom just didn't want me to get hurt, but yeah, yeah whatever and she said well you know our credit union will give you a signature loan for $3,500 against your pension and I'm like yeah so I go I go to the Honda dealer I find out what a Honda CRT 50 is going to cost me back then it's a whole 2800 bucks I get the loan I get all the gear I have no idea where I'm going to ride I, I get a boat trailer which I then build into a little trailer I'm driving a Camaro so I'm all in a dirt bike with the Camaro but <laughs> But here's the turning point, right? We were together a very short time. This is the point of me telling you this. A couple of days after I get this in motion, she says, so you're going to be riding this dirt bike down. I'm happy for you, but what am I going to do? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. And she said, well, how much would it cost me to get me a dirt bike? And I'm like, I don't know, 1500 bucks. I, I don't know. So the first thing I think was like the Honda XR100, that little four stroke, like a perfect yeah. small bike for a girl. You know, my wife's only five, three, whatever. And that was all the end of the conversation. And then the next day she comes home, she goes, here's $2,000. Go get me a bike. Wow. 
And, and I said in my head, I'm marrying this girl. <laughs> it was like two or three months. And then I, I proposed to her on Valentine's 94 as a surprise. I, was, I had my income tax return and I was supposed to buy an enclosed racing trailer. But by then I'd gone onto a truck or whatever, or a SUV. And I was supposed to find it, and I took that money and I bought her a ring instead nice. and got engaged. And then the minute I said, I do, man, because I was so unhappy with my first marriage or whatever. The minute I said, I do, I wished I hadn't waited so long. Wow. I just knew that I was with the right girl. And That's awesome. um, like I said, Sandy will be 29 together, 26 married. Nice. And um, I'd love to tell you it's been all roses and yeah. miles. It has, stuff. right? <laughs> 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 um, yeah. But, um, if you want me to skip to the chase, I don't know what other questions you got right now. But um, yeah, January 2018, my marriage was done. And, oh wow! Um, if you ask me from there, or anything you want to fill in, and then I'll tell you that story if you want to hear it. What you said you got into a transition to entrepreneurship. Okay. We'll after police, after what twelve and a half years, you said you're in the police department. What did you do? I mean, what kind of drove you to do that? So I was always doing something on the side. I had um. Mm our alarm company. I was recruited into uh, Amway. Actually, how my wife and I got together, I was recruiting her in Amway. And <laughs> an Amway meeting at my house that my <laughs> put on, right? And she's the only one that showed up. But it obviously, it turned out she wasn't interested in Amway. It was, it was me she was interested in. That's so good. I was always trying to do side hustles. And I was always trying to get something else going on the side because I just had this thing inside me or just being a cop wasn't going to be me forever. Yeah. And then a friend of mine got involved with a multi-level marketing company and he recruited me in and I got sold the dream that I was going to be a millionaire. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I got friends that I did that with now that came out of that, that, that regret that say that was the worst experience of their life. It was wow. one of the best for me because a, it gave me the courage to leave the police department, but me, right. it, it made me talk to people. We're talking, um, 2000, we're talking mm. back then. You know, we're recruiting people out of the white pages. I mean, yeah. we were cold yeah. calling out of the white pages in the back room. You know, man, it just taught you how to get the door open. Hi, Janet. Yeah, who is it? <laughs> hey, Janet, my name is Jamie. And I work over here in uh, Coconut Creek, Florida, at this little office where we do financial services. And uh, somebody passed on your name as somebody that keeps their mind open for opportunities. Is that you? No. Uh, well, well, let me ask you a question, Janet. Are you making all the money you'd like to make? Well, no. Well, awesome. Would you be interested in some part-time, full-time opportunities? That are? And if they said no, well, do you know anybody else? I mean, we were doing this yeah. easy-ass stuff, but it worked. Like, yeah. You could get people come down. But but the end story is it didn't work so well that after 18 months, I made an entire 400 bucks. Wow. So, yeah. You know, so my brother-in-law was a partner in a commercial real estate firm. And he's like, go get your commercial, go get your real estate license and come work with me. And I went into commercial real estate. And then nice. that's when I really started to get the case. So, awesome. okay, I can make some money on my own and I can, I can figure this out. And right. it just grew from there into to what I'm doing now. So now, when you left the police department, you went full-time into the other financial services thing. Yes, well, that takes a lot of balls. I mean, did you have money saved or you're like, screw it, I'm going, you know well, what I mean? There's a difference between balls and brains. <laughs> it might have taken balls, but it's the most brainiac idea ever. But I thought I was on track. Right. So I called the pension board. I said, how much money do I have in my pension? And they said, you got $50,000. And I said, how fast until I can have a check? Wow. And they said, you can have it in five days. Nice. Good. 
So I took the $50,000 and I budgeted that for 18 months. It lasted eight. Yeah, Isn't it funny how that happens? <laughs> and I didn't think about this little thing called the IRS. You have taxes on that money. Yeah. Hello. So that was the second time. The first one was over the divorce that I had to go um, make arrangements with the IRS. Because I got this cool little tax bill for about $15,000. Holy shit. And I'm like, all right. Oh my God. But you know what? I learned something about the IRS. So anybody that's listening to this, don't be afraid of them and talk to them. Yeah. Because they're so used to you blowing off. That's what makes them mad, right? Right. Communicate. You communicate with them and they're like, we need 800 a month. You're like, I can give you $25. Right. <laughs> and you just keep working with them. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not an attorney. I'm not a CPA. This yeah. is not legal advice. In my own personal experience, and I've actually ended up dancing with them three times now. My brother-in-law had some debt, whatever, long story. <laughs> I ended up dancing with them three times. In one case, they actually threatened to arrest me over a family member's debt, which was pretty interesting. Wow. But um, by then I knew what was going on. Um, so anyways, the point is just communicate with them. And, yeah, and, yeah. So yeah. That's so awesome. I pulled 50 grand and then I was broke. Yeah. And then I was trying to figure it out. And then I went into commercial real estate and I was starting to make a dollar or two. Commercial estate's one of those cool little businesses we got to put about 12 years in before you really see the return. Wow. Maybe you can do it a little faster now, but back then, you got to put that time in. You can make a living. I mean, you can make your 40, yeah. even 100 or 150, but to make real decent money, I'm talking three, 400 a year, mm-hmm. put in your 10, 12 years because at least in South Florida, South Florida's a pretty big place. A lot of population when you just say Palm Beach, Broward, and Dade County, right? But everybody knows everybody. It's the same handful of players. And just like everything else in the world, it's an 80 20 rule. Right. 20% of the people control all of the business. Yep. And so you're going and you're fighting for listings or I had a portfolio of 19, 18, 19 shopping centers at one point that mm-hmm. one of my bosses helped me get because we knew the guy. He had a relationship with him, right? But man, that was prized. Yeah. Like, people try wow. to take a contract from me every day. You know, wow. every day guys try to, people try to get in this owner's ear. They don't, one guy owned all these shopping centers. Everybody's trying to get in his ear. You know, there was some, there were some hard lessons learned in that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you did that for how long, the commercial real estate? So I did that, let's say, about six years, five, six years. Part of that was that my brother-in-law was supposed to be my uh, my mentor. Uh, he's the one that brought me in. And he had four of the partners, and they were all great guys. And I don't have a bad word to say about any of them. And they were helpful, but he was supposed to be responsible for me. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. he passed away a short time later. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. So, yeah. So um, at 40, 40 year, 41, 42 years old, something wow. like that. One of the other partners took me under the wing. He's the one that got me that listing and I was making a living at it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it was my my former police officer in me, but back then, and now I just understand it was imposter syndrome. Like I just didn't feel good enough, right? Right. You know, people that owned all these commercial properties. But I just had this thing like, as a police officer, it's like, do as I say or go to jail, right? So I had the handcuffs, I had the gun, I had the badge, I had the bulletproof vest, but in the business world, it was different. So back then I said, I got tired of kissing rich people's ass, but, <laughs> but it really was imposter syndrome really yeah. inside. Now that I know I've been through the therapy, I've done the inner work. I know that I just didn't feel good. enough. I didn't right. feel like I belonged in that world. So I had an opportunity come up and back then about 2005, 60, it's like the rest of the world. We had a ton of equity in our house and we decided we were going to move to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And if we move to Tennessee where it's a lot less expensive, what are we going to do? So we had the equity. I mean, we had like a couple hundred thousand dollars equity at that time. Right. 
So I started looking for businesses to buy. So I pour myself a glass of Jack Daniels and I'm sitting here flipping through Craigslist in, in Tennessee and I'm looking for businesses to buy. And I come across this thing in the field services business, a how-to manual, $30. Or maybe it was on eBay, $30 for this how-to get in the field services business for $30. Uh-huh. So I called one of my best friends up who I met in Prime America, the other MLM I tried. Right. And I said, dude, I think your brother was talking about something similar to this because he had just come back from working the, uh, the hurricane that hit uh, New Orleans real hard. Right. And were you just do inspections on behalf of companies, mortgage companies, bank companies, you take pictures. And so unfortunately, they pay you per piece. So I go, I don't know, this could be a scam. He's like, it's 30 bucks. We're like, you're right, it's 30 bucks. I'm like, it's not going to break me. So we opened that together, made 10,000 bucks our third month. Wow. Ended up with 10 part-timers working for us within a few months. But at the end of that year, which was 2006, uh, we just decided we were better friends and we were partners. Right. And, right. and we still have a pretty good friendship today and uh, still concerned one of my best friends. But it was a good thing we did that. In 2007, yeah. I, I closed it uh, Christmas. In 2007, we went our separate ways, but we came to a gentleman's agreement where I handled Palm Beach County. He handled Broward County. But then we shared jobs. So if I had a client that had a job in Broward, he worked for me. If he had a client that had a job in Palm Beach, I worked for him. I even set up helping because he wasn't very good with graphics and websites. I even set up the company's name, got him his LLC, set up his website, got him his Damn. business card. Like I totally did everything I could just to part friendly and keep him going. Right. So we ran that 2007 through 2011. And of course, in 2008, the housing crashed. And we got this tip. We weren't just doing inspections, but I got this call from a client going, I need you to go do this vacant house inspection. So I'm like, well, what's that entail? And she's like, we'll pay you 40 bucks. I'm like, okay. She's like, go take some pictures of this house, fill out a form. And that's where my, my inspections were. They were from $10 for a picture of a drive-by of a house, to $200 for what we called an environmental inspection. And I would stack them. Sometimes I'd do 20, 30 inspections in a day. And she goes, can you do a lock change? I'm like, what do you mean by a lock change? She's like, you got to break in the house. They got to change the locks and we'll send you locks. And, right. and it's with the, the bank owns it now. Right. And, and give this whole inspection report and this and that, and we'll pay you $200 and we'll send you the locks. I'm like, okay. So I go get a pretty expensive Makita drill. I've never done this before. I go figure it out. I drill through the locks. I start getting on Google or whatever it was then. And I'm trying to figure it out. And we just started figuring out. And from there, that led to trash outs, that led to pool cleans, that led to lawn mows, that led to maintaining mm-hmm. the house, doing this and that. And we were rolling pretty decent for a long time. So we rode that 2008. I mean, I had another buddy of mine. We got paid $2,500 to trash out a grow house. Wow. I mean, it took us three days. I wow. Mean, not a big deal. Yeah. A lot of work, but pretty decent money for what we were doing. Yeah. And Quite the entrepreneur, man. You just got to keep figuring it out. You yeah. just can't. Here's the thing. My new brand is never clear. Hey, I <laughs> trademarked that. But that's Ain't that brand. again, brother. Yeah, I love that. So we did that for a while. And then 2011, it got slow. And that business started to get a little snaky in my business, in my eyes. And people were kind of kicking back to get business. And I just got to be all on board and up front people. And things got really slow. My wife came to me at the end of uh, middle of 2011. And she's like, all right, like, business is slow. You know, you've done a good job for five, six years here, but um, you're going to get another job or you're going to rebuild your business because I've kind of been carrying the weight here for a minute. Yeah. I'm like, all right. And it's a lonely job because you, you work by yourself. Other than that, you were meeting homeowners or doing insurance inspections, just you, mm-hmm. me, my truck. And we got rid of all the people that are working with us because that was just too much keeping yeah. up 
what they were doing and they weren't turning their assignments in on time or whatever. Right. So I decided to go sell cars. Okay. First place I interviewed at was a Honda dealership. 35 odd people got interviewed. Five got hired. One didn't pass the drug test. So <laughs> four of us started and three guys and a girl. And I'm still very close with the girl today. We're still very good friends. So Even awesome. though she's moved 12 states already and whatever. She's now <laughs> We're still buddies. We still talk every now and then. I went to work at that Honda dealer. I was in it about a couple of weeks. And I heard this thing called Auto Broker. And we had a guy there that was doing about 50 cars a month, which is pretty huge. And he only dealt with auto brokers. He had a relationship where auto brokers brought him the business. And he had his own ability to spin what we call spin the paperwork, do his own finance. He didn't have to go to a finance department, nothing like that. So he was kind of like almost like an independent guy within the dealership, even though he worked for them. And he didn't really have no set hours. He could work when he wanted. I was like, man, I love that freedom, right? Yeah. So I was like two, three weeks in the job. And I come home one night and my wife goes, so what do you think about the job? And I go, freaking hate it. Right. Watching my mouth for your podcast. So uh, <laughs> I didn't really say freaking, but I go, I hate it. And she goes, well, what do you hate? I'm like, man, I got in this job to help people sell cars. And by the way, all car salesmen start that way, I believe. Everybody yeah. wants to help. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's not the game. So when you think car salesmen are scumbags, they're not. They're just stuck in a the game. They yeah. can't get out of it, unfortunately. It's the system. And I don't know how to change it. It's been going on since the, who knows, 50s, 60s, but it's it's a system. And I, she goes, what do you hate about it? I said, man, I want to help people. I don't want to lie to people. Like, it's like, why can't you just come in and say, I want this car? And I go, here's the price. And everybody leaves happy. No, it's not how it is. Like, yeah. you got to start them here. And then they got to start there. And you got to. Look, I know in America, people hate to negotiate. Most car sales people hate to negotiate worse. Trust me. Most yeah. of them are more scared than the customers are negotiating. Right. They just push cars and get paid because they get paid on commission, right? Yep. So she goes, well, what are you going to do? So I heard about this thing called auto broker. I'm going to stick in this business long enough to learn it. And then I'm going to go be an auto broker. I'm going to help people buy cars. Right. So I hung out to one month. Well, I actually left that dealership after five months and um, went to another dealership. The guy that hired me at that dealership had left a couple months later. And then I did a dealer trade to the dealership he went to. And he said, are you happy? And I'm like, yeah, because I hear you're doing great things. You got promoted to the internet, et cetera. I said, yeah. He goes, well, if you're ever not happy, you let me know. So about May. <laughs> November, about May of uh, 2015, I wasn't happy. So I, I'm sorry, 20, uh, 2012, I'd start 2011. I wasn't happy. So I went to that dealership and it was much more my style. It was much more customer friendly, right. much more less pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I just enjoyed the flow of that dealership. But I always had this auto broker idea in the back of my head. So I made a conscious choice to become really good friends with all the finance managers as best of friends as I could do with the sales managers, the internet people. And I just started learning everything I could. They said, we need a, a volunteer to work the service paid, talk to customers that come in for service. I'm in. Right. Hey, we need somebody to go. We're going to rechange the internet department, do A to Z instead of a, an up system. I'm in. Like everything they asked for, we need somebody to do this. I'm in. Like I just kept volunteering like everything because I was just soaking it all in. Like right. I was learning how to structure deals. I was learning how to. I could put car deals together in my mind before I even talked to a manager. And then I got a couple of managers that learned to trust me. And then they let me do that, where I literally could shake someone's hand and, and be pretty cemented in my deal before I even went to a manager for a price. Awesome. And I earned it and I started learning it. And then one day I got passed over for a promotion I thought I should have got. General manager came up and he goes, you're next. And I went, what the hell does that mean? 
Like, he's like, you'll get your shot. Just hang in there. And I'm like, you really made the wrong choice, boss. That's what I'm saying in my head. Like you really, and, and the guy they chose lasted three months and ended up going back to the sales floor. So, um, but by then I made up my mind and I bailed and started my auto broker business. Damn. Just like that. That's awesome, man. Well, if I left being a cop after 12 years, I could yeah. leave the party of the ship after three years. So. <laughs> the fear barrier was not there. You had uh, invested in yourself and that's awesome what you did. I mean, that's what great entrepreneurs do. So they I bailed. The problem was, though, Steve, was I told you we made 10000 our third month in the first business. Didn't exactly work out like that in the auto business. <laughs> Uh-oh. But I thought it would. <laughs> I was convinced. And then that just led through this whole myriad of transition and meeting people through networking and getting some coaching. Right. And I was kind of uh, living a double life that I was using to medicate myself. It wasn't drugs or alcohol, it was food and, you know, right. smart things. And then I'd, I'd done some coaching with some people that talked to me about doing some inner work and inner healing. And then I'd done some business coaching with some folks and I got something for all of them, but it wasn't right. really my tribe forever kind of stuff. And then finally, January 28th of 2018, my wife had, works nights and she had worked an overtime shift. She worked from 11 at night to 11 in the morning. And I'm out walking the dog and I'm crying and I'm like, I got to sit her down and just come clean. I just got to talk to her and I don't want to do this, but I have to. And so I sat her down or I called her. She came home and I said, do me a favor. I said, go in, go in and call out sick to work. She said, why? I said, you're not going to want to go to work tonight. So she goes, okay. She just goes, calls out sick. She comes and I said, look, I got to talk to you. You know, I've not been living up to being the man I'm supposed to be or the husband I'm supposed to be. Kind of got these extracurricular activities going on in my life. I'm not even going to say I'm sorry. I'm I'm just going to ask you to help me get help because sorry just doesn't cover it. So she went and shot. We went and met with our pastor, and they recommended the therapist that I'm with that we're with now. Mm-hmm. And we pulled in, and she said, "We can't even afford this. Like, how are we going to do this? Like, you're already struggling in your business." And I go, "I don't know, but if God." is meant us to be here. We'll be here. Cause by then I was back in church, which was kind of portion of stuff. She went to church three years before I went back. One of my coaches helped me go back. So I was getting back into believing in God. Cause I quit believing in God for a long time through some stuff we went through with our son when he was young and I was believing in God again and leaning on that. And I said, uh, if we're supposed to be here, God will work it out, which he did. And then I said, look, whether we stay together or we don't at this point, it's kind of mute. Like you have issues in your childhood you kind of need to deal with. I definitely have issues I need to deal with. How about we just agree we're just going to get better together or, or whatever. You're going to get better. I'm going to get better. And then whatever happens, happens. And hopefully we work it out. So we started. And the first couple of times, you know, if you go to a therapist, you go together, then you go separate and then you go together. And then it was like we were filtering things that we heard through our own hurt. So she'd come home and go, John can't believe you did this to me. And I'm like, now I'm pissed at John. So we go back in the next week. I'm like, what do you mean you said this? He's like, Jamie, I didn't say that. He's like, this is what I said. And this is how she felt, filtered it. Whatever. So right. I said, okay, new rule here. We don't go alone. We go to every <laughs> session together. So now you understand what's being said. I understand what's being said. John, and there's no more miscommunication. Right. And um, now that we're in it three years, obviously, I was in Dallas last week. So she did therapy on her own. It's cool. Like she worked mm-hmm. on her stuff. Some weeks she can't make it. I do it on my own. I work on my stuff and, and we're good now. We don't have that. She said, I think she said to me, like, you've never asked for my forgiveness. And I said, I'm not going to because I don't feel like I deserve it. And and I'm not going to really say, I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm sorry I hurt you, but 
I'm really not going to say I'm sorry because I don't feel like that covers it. Right. Right. And then one day, I don't know, six, eight months went by and I just get a text message just going, Hey, I just want you to know, I forgive you and I love you. Let's work this out. Wow. And from there, man, again, I, I would love to sit here and tell you it's all roses and chocolate and yeah. ice cream. It's not, but, but man, from where we were to where we are today, I mean, just three weeks ago, we, I had something on my mind that was troubling me. And we got in this conversation at 11 o'clock at night and we're going to bed. She's like, what's the matter? And I just kind of like, this is what's bothering me. And next thing I know, it's two in the morning, it's three in the morning. Wow. It's 630 in the morning and we're still talking. Wow. And she's like, I got to get some sleep. And by then we had it pretty much worked out. And I'm like, well, I'm going to the gym because if I go to sleep now, like my day's done. It was right. a Friday too. So I'm like, I got, I might as well go to the gym. So I went and worked out and went out a day and I didn't get to bed till nine o'clock that night. And by then I just passed out. And I was gone, but we solved it. And that's kind of what we do now. Like we, right. we understand that no matter what's happened in the past, no matter what one another has said or done to each other, First of all, everybody has a right to feel how they feel. Period. End of story. So you can't say you shouldn't feel this way because you did this, or I can't. I feel this way because you. No, you have the right to feel how you feel at the moment you feel it, and you have the right to express that. And we both got on that plane, and and I tell her all the time, like God built her in heaven just for me. Like yeah. she's my angel. And awesome man. And through the years of struggling and try to build businesses and figure it out. She's worked the overtime. She's been there and angel on your wings, brother. And I just, I can't love my wife enough today. Awesome. I just can't. And, and that is awesome. Man. There was a minute where I slept my eye open, hoping I didn't get stabbed in my sleep, but, <laughs> but she just, man, I just can't say enough. Enough. And, 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 and I'll wrap up this, uh, Sweetness bullshit by telling me this. Ain't bullshit, said, hey, bro. honey. She said Saturday night. She said um, one of our former pastors is coming to town to speak. She goes, we should go see him speak and um, maybe just grab a quiet dinner out Saturday night. We, we take care of my mom now. She's eighty percent disabled, so it's kind of hard to get out of the house. Right. I said, oh, okay, that's cool. We could do that. I said, but um, there's a Supercross race in Orlando, and I was thinking about asking our son if him and his girlfriend would come spend the night with grandma, and maybe we could just sneak out of town. Orlando's only ninety minutes from us. And go watch a Supercross race and just grab a room or whatever and just come back Sunday morning. She's like, I would love to go to the Supercross race. And I'm like, my girl. Still <laughs> <laughs> into it. All. We haven't been to a motocross race in 20 years. That's like, awesome. I would love to go to the Supercross race. You see, I mean, that's what it's all about. Having Being in a relationship where there's positive energy, positive flow. And how did that happen? Communication. Right? Being vulnerable. Opening up. But you have a woman that has your back, right? It's amazing. Just she loves the shit out of you. Right. And now I feel obligated. Like I no longer, and my therapist, I've had some major breakthroughs the last couple of weeks, months, mm -hmm. whatever. But my therapist helped me, another mindset coach that in the group I'm involved with has helped me. But here's the thing I'm now obligated to provide the best life I can for her. Mm -hmm. Like I owe her. So whatever I can't do for myself, I can do for her. Right. Right. So when I'm scared to make that phone call, I'm scared to pitch somebody. I'm scared to ask for money for my service because I'm a helper and I'm a giver. And I don't necessarily feel like I deserve to be paid for what I do. But you know what? I owe it to her. Exactly, man. That's that's awesome. And you know, what is it? Courage is not is that you're going to be afraid, but you're going to do it because of someone else. Right. 
because you're doing it for someone else. And that's what drives a lot of people. I mean, it's like guys in war, they go, they, they're, they're doing this for their buddies, right? Band of brothers. And what you're doing right now is just, that's exact. The courage is that what you're doing, it's not, you're afraid, but you're going to do it anyway because you love that person because she's always had your back and you're going to have her back. And that's how I try to tell guys, that's what you want to look for in women, quality women. We're always going to have your back for a positive, positive growth mindset. Had a good, you know, good upbringing. That's awesome, man. You got a great relationship with your wife. And that's that's what you strive for. That's why I try to show guys how to recognize the toxic signs of women and the quality of uh, uh, the good green light qualities of women. So you, you went uh, you went to therapy and that kind of was that that was kind of your transitional thing for you where you really got your shit like, hey, man, this is what, well, it's, this is what I'm all about. And again, we're, we're three years in and we right. still go every Friday. And some weeks we work on my stuff and some weeks we work on her stuff. Lately, most of it's been mine. I brought most of the junk to the relationship, let's face it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the last couple months, I've been like, okay, I'm tired of telling myself the same old story. I'm tired of telling myself this happened in my childhood, that happened in my childhood. This happened. Like I wasn't making excuses for my behavior, but we learned how the back of the brain drives, really drives the show. At best, we only use about three to four percent of our brain consciously. And I'm just tired of telling that story. Like, it's time to tell a new story. Sure, I'll share my story in hopes to help somebody. But, like, that's not me anymore. That's my past. Today's a new day. God forgave me. My wife forgave me. Like, it's really nobody else's business at this point. Right. Um, this is really the first time I'm sharing anything publicly, to be honest with you. Thank I'm you so sure. much, man. I feel very feel privileged, man. No, but, but, but we're on a mission. And my wife and I talk about that. Like, how's God going to use our story? Hopefully, he's going to help a few use it to help people god uses broke people to help broken people we firmly believe in that and uh and someday some way we'll we'll figure that part out but yeah so i went in like i said i went in as an auto broker was running that got involved with this mentorship group called apex entourage follow start following ryan stewman for some reason like they spoke to my heart ryan uh comes off as they call him the hardcore closer some people think he's a real jerk whatever he cusses a lot i could just see the man had a good heart Right. And only the last couple of years has he been talking about how he finally came back to God himself. And now we call him the heart core closer in our group. So I'm a proud member of Apex Entourage. That's my my family of choice forever. As far as I'm concerned, I'm a lifetime member. I had shiny object syndrome really bad. Like even though I had my auto broker thing, I was, I was doing other things. I was looking at uh, building a solar company. I got invited into a telecom company. I was actually handed the reins and the title of national vice president of a telecom company with two engineers who said, we'll build the system, but we can't sell it. We're going to build this from scratch. In five years, we're going to sell this for $30 million, and we're giving you one-third partnership. Wow. And you have carte blanche to build the system any way you want to. And after about three months of screwing around that, I had to call them and say, I really appreciate this opportunity, but it's not who I am. Right. Damn. Like, Damn, man. Not me. Like, right there. Like, I just can't. Like, that's when I started to realize that this is not about chasing the money. Right. It's not. Like, I got a project I'm working on, the messaging thing I think I told you about, or mm-hmm. we were talking about the future. Like, that's kind of my goal and parachute. That, that's that's going to that's gonna roll real big, but that I'm doing for the money. But yeah. what I'm doing as far as this consulting thing, this is just purely to help people. Yeah. And that's where kind of where my heart is. If I could awesome. do it for free, I would. I also learned an interesting thing that people don't value what they don't pay for. Yeah, That's another man. reason to charge, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's so true. 
So I got, basically, here's the long story, as short as I can make it. I got invited to this marketing group thinking I was going to learn about marketing. And I was going to do the soda thing and I was doing my auto broker thing. I found out it was a group of people that own marketing businesses. At the same time, my son needed knee surgery. He couldn't work. He was still in college. And I was like, hey, buddy, you want to start a marketing company together? You're home. I'm home. He's like, sure. How are we going to do that? I'm like, like everything else, we're going to figure it out. So we learned how to write, you know, build websites, write copy, build sales funnels, do emails. We can do all that shit, right? But again, that it just felt like everybody could do that. Like, what's my blue ocean? How can I be different? We even chased the white label thing. Uh, we were going to sell it, and then a white label company was going to provide the services. Yeah. Until I had my first decent deal to build a Shopify store, and and the guy paid us like I don't know, like three grand to build the store or something. Had never done it before, and I called them up. And I'm like, I got a client to build a Shopify store. I'm like, I have these questions, and the response was, "Don't worry about it, sell it. We'll take care of it." And I'm like, No, I'm putting my name on it. Right. That's not me. Like y'all don't understand. Like. Even in my auto broker business, if I went, I, yeah, I charged a thousand bucks a deal, but I saved eight twelve grand and saved you eight hours in the car dealership. I put that in writing. And at the end, you didn't pay me if you weren't 100% happy. I can't do a business. I can't offer a money back guarantee on. Right. So when you start talking about charging people to run ads and stuff, you're investing money. You have to collect, even if you can't get results mm-hmm. or you're out your own money. And, and right. I can't do that either. So this just started evolving through about a year and a half, two years ago. I was doing a live video every day at two o'clock on my feed called the two at two. And I've been asked to bring it back. And I may do that just two minutes, 2 PM Eastern, whatever I want to talk about. I started reaching out to other members of Apex going, Hey, if you're scared to do live video, I'll do it with you. I'll just go live on my feed and I'll just interview. <laughs> and that led to me just like, how can I help you? How right. can I help you? How can I help you? So I started helping people and helping people and helping people and not really asking anything for it. And then it just kind of led to this little consulting thing. But then I was like, who am I? Back to imposter syndrome. Not good. I don't know anything. And then I sat down with this kid not too long ago in our group. And he coaches baseball and middle and high school students. I said, bro, if you do this plan right here, you'll make 40000 a month in the next year. And he's like, that's pretty amazing. And I'm like, yeah. But here's the thing. If we know something, this is going to speak to somebody in the audience. I promise you. If we know it because we know it and it's easy for us, we think it has no value. That doesn't mean other people don't find value. Exactly. Amen, brother. So we put the program together. We're getting good reception on it. I have two steps to it. One is we consult for four to five weeks. The other one is that we do all of it for you for around a six-month contract. And that's where we're going in the future. And um, I'm really excited about it. That's awesome, man. I love this. I love this. I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I love how you made so many different transitions and turns and you kept striving, you kept things open. You know, you're always looking for something, but then you narrowed it down to you. I love to help people. You know, I just want to help people because, you know, that's just who you are. And that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> we're just getting started, right? Not done. Know, yep. Do a fast and furious five, your top oh, no. five things kind of influencing you. What's your favorite book? What's the book that inspired you the most? So I've read a ton of books. Right now, I'm into The Power of Intention by Dr. Wayne Dyer, because books seem to show up at the right time just when I need them. Right. A big shift I made back in December. I read a book called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Okay. The Big, the big Leap by Leap. Dave. And it's The Big Leap by Gay, G-A-Y, Hendricks. Okay. And he talks about raising your, your thermostat, right? And, and Ed Milet talks about this a lot, too. If anybody listens to Ed Milet, you know, if you're an 80-degree guy, you're going to be an 80-degree guy. So if you make a lot of money, 
you'll figure out a way to get rid of it. You'll readjust back to 80. If you're a 100-degree guy, then you're a 100-degree guy. If you lose a lot of money, you'll figure out a way to get back to that. So you got to raise your own level of expectation, understand that you're worth it. it was right. a, that's why it's called the big leap, right. raising your brain to, hey, I am worth this. That's awesome. I was in like the most, say, most motivational person that you've ever like in real life or like somebody out there really inspires you. Brian Stuman. Brian Stuman. Awesome. Of Apex. That's awesome. Brian Stuman, the hard car closer. Absolutely. Yeah. How about your number one uh, movie that kind of like, you know, you said this, 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 I got to go out and do a Rocky jump, you know, or something like that. Do my Rocky, uh, Sylvester Stallone jumping up in the air on Philly's uh, public library. This is a cult movie. This is a cult movie from 1984 that nobody ever heard of called Vision Quest with Matthew Modine. Oh yeah. The wrestling one, high school. It's a great movie. Yeah. So I, so I was a wrestler in high school. Okay. And you know, one of the co-captains of my my senior year, and all the kids were like, This is you. Like I was so committed to wrestling. Like it was my heart, my soul, my passion. And everybody was like, This kid is you, Jamie. Like and and the whole wrestling squad went and saw that movie together. And that's still my favorite movie today. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great movie. I mean, you never, yeah, can you find it still? I mean, I, you know, you you look like for it on uh, the channels and it's like, it's one of the movies that never come up, but it is a great movie. Great movie. Yeah, I have an undo, I think. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the go-to quote, like you need this for inspiration, uh, inspiration, what quote do you go to? When uh, Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. When Henry right. Ford said that, right? Yep, Henry Ford. Yep. Awesome. You think you can and you think you can't, you're right. I think that's my most favorite quote of all time. That's awesome. And who was your like biggest inspiration in your life, your personal life? Who was the person that, that was close to you that kind of, you know, raised you to the top, just made you think big and like you're thinking? My dad, my uh, maternal grandfather. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. I was definitely very close to my maternal. That's awesome, man. That's all, man. Jamie, this has been a great, great time, man. I just really, I love listening to you talk, man, because you got, you got that entrepreneur spirit, and you take chances, and you, you, you spill your heart out, man. And it's, that's what it's all about. Just you being you, speaking your truth, living your truth. I appreciate you, man. I really do. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on here. Yes, sir. Give me uh, your information on your, your coaching and consulting and where people can reach you at. All right. So we're still redoing all the websites and everything. So the easiest way to find me is I'm all over social media. And the reason I had to put these two words in front of my name is because there's a lot of Jamie Hyde's out there. You would think there would be. But if you Facebook Jamie Hyde, there's a lot of them. And some of them are much prettier female versions than me. <laughs> I was, oh, shit. But um, I actually looked myself up. So <laughs> So it's the real, right? T H E R E A L, right? And there's Jamie Hyde. So it's also the real jamiehyde.com. And it's J A M I E. There's a very many variations of spelling Jamie. And I haven't gotten around to buying all of the domains yet. Right. So it's Jamie, J A M I E. And then it's Hyde, H Y D E. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So it's the real Jamie Hyde. If you find me, if you punch that into Facebook, Instagram, I don't do nothing on Twitter, but I'm on there. That's pretty much where you'll find me. And then awesome. uh, the real jamiehyde.com, or I'm always open. I'm not shy. 561 692 3637. Text message is always best because in this day and age, I just don't answer unless I know who you are. Awesome. Start off with a text, I'll respond, and then we'll go from there. 
Awesome, man. God bless you, man. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate you. Guys, you heard it, man. Jamie Hyde. Uh, what an inspirational story that is. So, guys, you know my quest. I want to help 300 million men worldwide, show them how to make their comeback, take their balls back, and get their swag back. And remember, guys, it ain't over till they're patting you on the face with a shovel. This is Steve Clements signing off. I'll see you next podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Get Your Swag Back podcast with Steve Clements. And if you like this shit, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you know anyone that may need to hear this podcast, which is 90% of the men in the world, send them my way. Please send us your feedback, questions, and comments to swagbackdoc at gmail.com. I love reading hate mail. Thanks for listening, and fellas, take your balls back and get your swag back. See you next podcast.